In 2023, we're asking our readers and listeners to join Pellicle in helping us to become profitable. Every month, we pay writers, illustrators and photographers a fair rate for their work. And this is all thanks to our sponsor Hotburns and Black and the hundreds of people who subscribe via Patreon. We want you to help us hit 500 subscribers this year so that we can create a sustainable resource for Pellicle and so that we can continue publishing more written features and more podcasts just like this one. While Pellicle will always remain free to access, we can only keep our magazine and podcast going thanks to the support of our subscribers. So if this sounds like something you can help with, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash Mag to sign up. We're determined to produce one of the best drinks magazines out there, and we can only do this with your help. Thanks for listening, and now, let's get on with the show. Greetings and welcome back to the Pellicle podcast with me, Matthew Curtis, the co-founder of Pellicle magazine. Today, I've got another fascinating interview for you, a roundtable I recorded at last year's Nottingham Craft Beer Week with some of the luminaries from within its beer scene. I was in Nottingham to promote my book, Modern British Beer, And while I was there, I got to sit down and record this interview while also experiencing Nottingham Craft Beer Week and Nottingham Craft Beer Festival that was the centrepiece of that. But not just that, I also got to reacquaint myself with a city that I knew quite well in my youth, but had never caught up in more recent years to delve into its beer scene. I grew up in the nearby town of Lincoln, and as a teenager in Lincoln who was really into rock music, There really wasn't anything to do, but just a few miles away in Nottingham, there were venues like Rock City in the rescue rooms that would book bands that I would want to see play. I actually went to my first gig without my dad, age 16, at Nottingham Rock City to see Incubus years and years ago. An incredible experience, a life-changing experience to visit a venue like that and see a band in their prime That was amazing. But as I grew up and moved away from Lincolnshire, I never got back to Nottingham for some reason or other. So this was the first time I'd been in a long time. So as well as experiencing the festival and the craft beer week, I made sure to first walk up to Rock City and pay my respects and then dip into some of its lovely pubs and bars and acquaint myself with what is a spectacular beer scene, but one that was I wasn't really aware of. I knew there was a good beer scene in Nottingham, but I was quite taken aback at the quality of the pubs and the beers that were on offer. I really, really loved the King Billy pub, especially. I love any old school pub that has a great beer list like that, with just one of those intangible vibes that you can't get enough of. And that's really scratching the surface. Do yourself a favour and get over to Nottingham. It's got an absolutely stunning beer scene. Anyway, before we get on with this week's episode, it's been a while since we've last done this, and I just want to take a moment to check in. Regular listeners to the show will know that I like to pause and just take stock of what's happening in beer. I don't know if any of you practice mindfulness or meditation. I do. I quite enjoy it. I get a lot out of it when I remember to do it. I don't know if you've ever done it, but if you haven't, in that, you pause before you meditate just to check in with the mind and body and see how you're doing we're not doing that in this sense we're checking in with what's happening with beer and pubs and how we feel about that without dwelling on it too much but just acknowledging it and it's a good chance for you to think about some of the beers you've been enjoying recently and some of the pubs that you could maybe recommend to your friends some of the articles you've read about beer that you think oh that was good i should recommend that to some of my pals And checking in, it involves not just thinking about the positives, but sitting with some of the more challenging things that are happening in beer. Unfortunately, it continues to be an incredibly challenging time for small breweries and hospitality businesses. We saw over 80 breweries close in 2022. 
And while we've already lost several breweries this year, there was a closure that happened in the last few days that really shook me because it was a brewery owned by a good friend of mine, Jimmy Hatherley of Unity Brewing in Southampton. Long-time listeners of the podcast may remember that Jimmy was in one of the first ever episodes of this podcast, episode eight, I think. And it was a fantastic interview explaining how he wants to run his business and the kind of beers he wants to make. And, you know, I was only there last year at a big birthday event for the brewery with hundreds of people, and it was a wonderful time. I found out a couple of days before the announcement that the brewery was closing down, and I did get to speak to Jimmy via a few exchange texts. The good news, the silver lining, if you will, is that he recently opened a bottle shop, which will continue. It's currently branded as a Unity bottle shop. That'll be changing. But the other good news is that he's not going to stop brewing. While the brewery itself will go, he will continue doing small batch projects. Jimmy does have a little side project called May Provisions. Fingers crossed he continues with that. So while it continues to be really challenging for breweries like Unity, which are sadly having to close down, I'm still getting out there. In fact, I'm traveling more than I have done in about three years and I'm visiting lots of breweries. So I'm getting a good barometer of what it's like out there. And while it is tough, there are still plenty of businesses who are just about keeping their heads above water. And a couple of weeks ago, I went to visit my good friends Derek Bates and Miranda Hudson of Norfolk's Duration Brewing. And these are people who really put everything out there. They invested in the most expensive brewery they could buy, put it in a refurbished medieval barn in the middle of nowhere, Norfolk. And it really is a fantastic place. The beers are tasting exceptional and things seem to be going okay. Yeah, they're tough. But it was nice to spend a weekend with Bates and Miranda and just get a sense of how they feel and what they're doing, as well as just relax, drink some beer, drink some whiskey, walk along the seafront in lovely, lovely Norfolk and just, you know, convalesce. It's a good place to go and do that. Although things are bad, I do get a sense that there is a determination to work through this. For many people, getting into beer as a business is not just about making money, although that is an important part of it, but it really is a lifestyle choice. It's not a huge earner. Only a very small minority of people will actually make lots of money from it. Owning a brewery, making a great product like beer, and making a living out of it, that's a lifestyle choice. And I think that's important to people to have that sense of well-being, to put their mark on the world in a small way. And I think that's what a lot of small breweries are doing. It certainly feels like that at somewhere like Duration. It did at somewhere like Unity. Sadly, not all of those dreams will be sustainable. But my gut feeling is that many of them will be. What can you do to help? Get out there, drink some beer in the pub, make sure you tell people about it. It's as simple as that. And if you can't get to the pub, then get the cans in and enjoy them at home. I hope all of you listening out there have been enjoying some great beers, some great ciders some nice glasses of wine, maybe getting out for a nice meal. And I hope that despite it all, you're still trucking on and enjoying the sense of well-being that popping into the pub for a nice pint can bring you. Right, let's get into this week's interview with some of the luminaries from the Nottingham beer scene. In this roundtable, I get to speak to Amy Harbison, who's the landlady of the Barrel Drop pub, which I did pop into. It's a lovely little pub with beers from Magpie Brewery, who used to own it, and Amy bought it off them a couple of years ago. I also speak to Lucy Simons, who's the landlady of a micro pub called The Abdication, which I didn't get to make it to because it's a bit out in the suburbs. And Lucy is also involved with Nottingham Home Brewing Club Place to Brew. I speak to Josh Meller, co-founder and owner of Neon Raptor Brewery, and I got to pop into Neon Raptor briefly because it was basically at the centre of the Nottingham Craft Beer Festival, and so I got to try lots of their beers there. Lots of lovely, hazy, juicy gloop and big imperial stouts. They do those beers so well, and it's no wonder there's so much hype behind them. And I also speak to Alex Wilson, the owner and founder of Black Iris Brewery. And I did jump on a tram and get out to Black Iris, who were, while I was visiting, doing a little collab because it was Nottingham Craft Beer Week and lots of breweries were visiting from out of town and the folks from Pomona Island were there. So it was nice 
to speak to these people and also get out to their establishments as I could on my travels around Nottingham. What I like here is there's a mixture of brewery owners and pub owners, so you get that real sense of both the brewing and the hospitality scene and how Nottingham is this pretty well-established beer scene. But I really wanted to dig into why it's maybe not talked about as much as, say, London or Manchester. Maybe it's because of people like me who focus so heavily on those cities. But there is a sense that more people should be excited about what's happening in Nottingham. And when I say that, the people who live there are very excited about it. They know it's a great beer scene. But the rest of us who go online and post on social media and recommend places to go for a beer... I don't see people talking about Nottingham as a place to go. And so this is me saying, go to Nottingham and drink some beer. Whether you're into cutting-edge craft beer, the likes of which Neon Raptor excel at, or more traditional, Cast Beer, this Castle Rock Brewery, who are based there and have a number of pubs, and unlike a lot of bigger, older breweries with pubs, they actually give some of their taps over to small breweries rather than mass-produced brands, which is really refreshing to see. It's because of that that there's so many great beer venues in the city. I also found that as well as there being a good mixture of modern and traditional beer on offer, it's also right on the dividing line between sparkler territory and no sparkler territory. And you can go from pub to pub and some will pour their cask through sparklers, lovely, delicious, creamy pints, and some will not and serve sad pints where the head dissipates after just a little while. And there's a little bit of debate on that in this interview. Of course there is, I'm hosting it. Anyway, before we crack on with the interview, I do want to give a massive shout out and thank you to Jared Wilson of Left Lion and his team behind Nottingham Craft Beer Festival, who invited me down and set up this podcast, gave me a room in their offices. So thank you, Jared. I really appreciate it. And although there is no Nottingham Craft Beer Week this year, there is the return of of Nottingham Craft Beer Festival. Tickets are still available. I will put a link to where you can buy those tickets in the show notes. Maybe use that as an excuse to get to Nottingham and drink some lovely beer and support some of these lovely pubs and breweries. Anyway, let's get into this interview. This is a round table from Nottingham Craft Beer Week featuring Amy Harbison, Lucy Simons, Alex Wilson and Josh Meller. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Pellicle Podcast. I'm sat in a room uh, at Left Lion Magazine in their little podcasting studio. This is luxury for me. Thank you so much for joining me, everyone. What I think we should do first is uh, go around the room and everyone just introduce yourself to me and tell me a bit about what you do in terms of beer or pubs, as if I didn't know anything about what you're doing. I know what some of you are doing, I certainly know what the brewers in the room are doing, uh, but the people behind the pubs, I'm really keen to hear from you first uh, about what you do. So Lucy, please tell me about the abdication and place to brew and introduce yourself. Okie doke. So yeah, I'm Lucy, I run the abdication micropub with my partner. It's a community pub out in Daybrook, which is a suburb just north of the city centre. Um, we've been involved with Craft Beer Week for about five years now and that's been something that's enabled us to get much more involved with the beer scene in, in the city. Um, uh, and then a couple of years ago I started working with some home brewers to set up a homebrew club um, and we've taken on premises which is just around the corner from the pub but that was just kind of coincidence but it meant that we did decide to get really involved. And we have a small unit which is all set up with brewing equipment and members of the club come in, brew their beer and then take it home with them. Um, yeah, and that's really fun. I can tell you more about that later if you want. But I'll Brilliant. I love that. Uh, yeah, I think we should definitely pick up on that. I'm, fan- I'm fascinated in home brewing at the moment because it's a tough time for brewers at the moment, but there's still so many people keen to, to do all grain brewing and, and push on to that next step. So, yeah, let's talk about that in a bit. Amy, tell me about the the Barrel Drop pub and how you fit into the Nottingham craft beer scene. So, um, I am part owner and manager of the Barrel Drop. I'm in partnership with Magpie Brewery, who are a local brewery. Um, I've been at the Barrel Drop for about four years now, and it was mainly known for cask ale. Um, And as was Magpie, and still is really. 
um, they started dipping their toe a bit into the craft beer side of things um, and then they also got involved with Nottingham Craft Beer Week and um, Gavin that used to be at Magpie was um, instrumental in helping set all that up and getting Magpie involved um, and then we stay well now after he's gone. Um, we now, we just call ourselves sort of beer focused so it's not just the cask now, we've got quite a lot of craft offering. We're a micro pub right in the city centre down a little cut through as lots of things are in Nottingham down these little alleyways that you have to discover um, and yeah it's become quite a little bar crawl down there there's cocktail bars tequila bars all sorts so we're the only beer one but that's good for us so yeah that's what we do fantastic I look forward to I've got a whole day tomorrow to explore uh, and, and enjoy a few beers so I shall be popping in I can't wait nice. Alex um, you've been running Black Iris for how long now? So 2011, and when we first started, we were actually brewing in a kind of, we were actually cuckoo brewing in a small unit in Derby. And it wasn't until 2014 when we finally kind of made the decision to move back to Nottingham. We'd lived in Nottingham throughout that time and we commuted across the A52 Brian Clough Way to head over to brew there. But in 2014, we made the decision to move to Baseford in a unit which is next door to the old Shipston's Brewery. So the classic old regional brewery um, that, with the beautiful tower brewery structure. Um, and we've been, yeah, we've been brewing there since 2014. Uh, we do a, a mix of uh, cask, keg and cans, do all, all formats. Still do predominantly cask beer. I think a lot of people find that quite interesting outside of Nottingham, because inside Nottingham, a lot more people know us for our cask beer, like Snake Eyes and Endless Summer. But outside a much more... Our, our, our cans and kegs travel a lot further, so I think people think that outside of Nottingham we're a little craftier than we are. But uh, yeah, cask is still quite a lot of our bread and butter. As we are in uh, the Midlands, uh, are we in, still in sparkler territory? Uh, I think there's a, there's a nod of the head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's. A, <laughs> we've got. We might have a debate on I'll that. I'll take it here. off. If you ask me to take <laughs> it off, but as a standard, it's on there. I think there's quite a split between pubs that do run them and don't run them. And certainly, I mean, this is going back a bit, but I used to work at the Lincolnshire Poaching in a time before Black Iris. And we would run we would run certain beers with sparklers and certain beers without. So we'd often keep them for maybe milds and stouts and porters, but maybe we wouldn't run them for all pails. So it kind of, it really depended on the beer. So we never really had a, a set policy. It was something that could be varied with, with beer styles but even if you go around the city it's we're so in the north south divide here that some places will and some places won't but it doesn't seem to annoy too many of the local drinkers whichever way it falls i think that's something i'd like to get into a bit later in this interview because there's such a back and forth between drinkers in the north and the south living in manchester people in manchester are very proud of the beer scene and we talk about it a lot and and we argue with people in the south but i feel often i was in birmingham a few weeks ago uh doing an event and the midlands sometimes gets forgotten about in in the sort of anything cultural in the UK and beer is one of those things so uh, we can certainly pick on that especially as we are in the sparkler divide so I'm very excited <laughs> obviously and people know I'm pro sparkler anyway that just leaves Josh why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and Neon Raptor uh, yes yeah, so I am uh, one of the co-owners of Neon Raptor uh, myself and Tom uh, we started off Tom and I met uh, God, 10 years ago as postman we used to post mail together um, well, not together, that's not how it works. Uh, but yeah, we used to be postmen, we met uh, and both decided that we want to get out of our jobs. We didn't want to do that anymore, so we set up a little bar in Derby uh, called Suds and Soda and eventually kind of got an opportunity to get involved with the brewery. Um, so we took that on, we are now the uh, sole you know, joint owners and yeah, uh, seems to be doing well so far. I've got no experience in brewing. I've got no experience in in uh, in that department. But yeah, it's come from kind of a love of, of beer and all things um, hoppy and stouty, uh, and just led to that. And, and we've now got a brewery that's we've got eleven members of staff, including ourselves. Um, and yeah, things are going things are going well. 
That's great. And something I always want to ask you is where the hell did the name Neon Raptor come yeah, from? Yeah, so everyone asks that. There's no real good story about it. I'm going to have to make something up eventually because I get asked so many times why we're called Neon Raptor. Um, no, Did no you use one of those like uh, band name generator things? So it's, it was sort of that. There was, a, there was a glam band idea that was kind of created around Neon Raptor but it was first kind of... Um, created but that's kind of those days are long gone now <laughs> Lucy let's come back to you why do you think people should come and experience beer here in Nottingham, Nottingham. It's, well we have got a really good beer scene so I, I I'm from Nottingham but I lived away for 20 years and I came back 10 years ago and it was just transformed it was um, it was so exciting to come back and to see how much the good beer there was around in the city and new breweries. I mean, especially like the uh, Black Iris, one of the first newer ones to get set up, I think, really, um, of the newer wave of microbreweries. Um, and the pub scene, it's always been a really good pub scene in Nottingham, but it was, there were some really um, newer pubs getting established around that time that were really bringing beer, good beer to the city. Um, well, I think we're totally spoiled in this region with Nottingham, Derby, Sheffield, other brewers in South Yorkshire area. It's really easy to get good beer as a as a, a owner of an independent pub. You know, we buy directly from the local breweries. Um, we very rarely have to go to a wholesaler because we can just get such a good selection um, directly. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's very exciting in Nottingham for beer these days. You, you it's hard to enjoy it because <laughs> there's so much going on. <laughs> it, like I'm I'm really excited to get out and explore it. Amy, what makes Nottingham such a, a vibrant beer city for you? I mean, like echoing what Lucy said, it's we're just spoiled for choice. Um, and Nottingham is one of those cities where it's small enough to get yourself around pretty easily but there's so much going on at the same time um, and yeah pubs and bars there's so many of them and not just beer bars there's so many great independent bars and restaurants and shops and everything um, people I know come to the bow drop travel to come into Nottingham for beer um, we get coach trips coming in and they ring me up and say you know can you fit 40 of us in um, because we've all just come on a coach, but and they've literally just come to Nottingham for beer, nothing else. It sounds like I've been I've been really missing out. Um, Alex, what's what have the challenges been establishing a, a more modern uh, beer brand in Nottingham? And I'll probably throw this over to you, Josh, as well, um, because when I think of a brewery in Nottingham, I think of Castle Rock. That's that's you know they own a lot of pubs. Mm -hmm where I'm from in, in Lincoln and around the villages in Lincolnshire where I grew up, they had a lot of pubs. So it's always a brand that I've been very aware of. So what was the response to, to uh, and I think you should both answer this because you've both got very modern beer brands. But Alex, you first, like, what was the response to a very modern beer brand like yourself launching with a distinctly different brand uh, on the pump clips? Um, incredibly supportive. And that was the thing that, I suppose surprised me to an extent, but even, I suppose one of the things for us is that we have quite a modern, we're quite modern in, in all formats, so from can through to cask. But when we started, when we moved into, in 2014 over here, we were doing nothing but cask. We were doing no other, uh, you know, different styles. So we were doing quite a lot of modern things and pushing the envelope in, in that respect. But at the same time, the people are number one you know, customers at the time were all Castle Rock pubs. You know, we'd come, me and Nick, who founded Black Iris, had worked in Castle Rock pubs before. Um, so we had a lot of internal support from knowing a lot of people. But realistically, no one batted an eyelid that we were doing anything. In fact, everyone that we talked to said it was just already going to, that it was just complementing an already pretty vibrant scene. And I suppose it was quite interesting because we were bringing something we were bringing something new, like we were doing a lot more use of American hops, for example. And I mean, but any, even at that time, you know, it's it's funny because when we started, it's kind of like it's I, when I remember working in pubs and setting up the company. It's what I refer to as kind of the golden age of cask. I remember working in the Lincolnshire Poacher, 
and the palpable excitement of someone saying that we had a cask of Abbeydale Absolution in the cellar and you had to drink this, you know, you had to drink this hample to get it empty so that we could put it on and everyone would have this crackle of excitement, even for beers that are now maybe perceived as slightly tame, although Abbeydale are a fantastic brewery. But we've had nothing but support from, even from the local camera branch, they've always been supportive, always tried to get us involved in, uh, in the beer festivals and we've been at, I think we've been at every Nottingham Beer Festival since we moved over in 2014 and you know it's still a highlight of the year to get involved in a you know a big celebration of cask and even nowadays they have a keg bar there that really celebrates you know the full diversity of beer in its entirety um, yeah so it's it's one of those things that I suppose we were maybe initially worried but we shouldn't have been everyone was been been fantastic really and i guess you guys kind of set the way for us to kind of get involved as well so come the the you know tom and i are not from beer backgrounds uh there was three of us when we first started and even they weren't from a beer background really so when we started off we kind of didn't really know where to go we were all living in derby decided to move to decided to move for business to nottingham when we actually stopped cuckooing actually you know uh put our hats down and, you know, create, create a home for ourselves. And yeah, brewers like Black Iris have kind of really kind of paved the way within Nottingham and uh, seems to have pushed different uh, avenues and different exciting different beers that then we've kind of kind of pushed even further, I guess, from, mm-hmm. from your successes um, to kind of go even more weirder mm-hmm. and wonderful. Although we've not done Lavender Grisette yet. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> but you, uh, you yeah. do have a very modern, there's a lot of hype behind the Unraptor you brewing, uh, the sort of the, the hazy IPAs that a lot of people go nuts over. Like, how has the response been to, to that kind of brewing in, in what I perceived as a very cask, trad led beer city? So, I guess, in, I guess we've, we've done fairly well in Nottingham. We've, we've, we've set up a tap room ourselves, so we kind of, that was the first one of the first steps of you know getting into the city and that was interesting to see what would happen we, we've only really just started dabbling into cask in the last two months so we've been keg and can from for the last five years uh, Nottingham is, is, is you know there's, there's some great customers in Nottingham that kind of stuck with us and bought every single release we've done and really kind of gone down and you know, followed our kind of craftier you know more exciting modern beer roots well you know the kind of things we do and um, we are now finding more customers through being able to switch over to cask a little bit and then we're also finding that because of that they're then interested back into buying the keg and the can stock as well um, but yeah we've, we've, we've got a, an interesting relationship with Nottingham City and we want to kind of really pursue that more and you know, you know work on it more which potentially we haven't done as much as I guess about yourselves, like ours. Are you doing any cask beer yourselves at the moment, or just we're doing keg and very can? small amounts of cask? It's only going to places in Nottingham um, because we don't have a van, and it has to go in the back of a car. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we don't. We we basically send everything out for our uh, courier normally. Um, so yeah, we're doing tiny kind of cask runs, kind of six or eight kind of casks at a time, just to kind of see where things are think things are but yeah there's definitely been huge interest for it and yeah we'll, we'll look into it and see if we do more it definitely feels like there's a a cask resurgence since lockdown ended uh, lucy and amy have you seen more desire for cask because the the data says that cask is seeing double digit decline at the moment is does that re- is that reflected in what you're selling over the bar uh, no, we're we're we are a cask-led venue, although we have got keg beer as well uh, and some small pack. Um, but takeaway cask kept us going through the lockdowns. People couldn't get enough of. They wanted to take home cask beer in various receptacles. We had to set up. We had to reset up our cellar to be able to fill laminate pouches that you know a bit like a bag in a box, but no. on a smaller scale. Um, and people would order them and, you know, have an eight pint pint 
um, pouch of beer. And so, I mean, obviously we weren't turning over anywhere near as much as we would do normally, but um, it was a reasonable amount. Um, and, you know, it meant that we were sending a bit of business out to breweries at that time who were all trying to switch to retail themselves and everything. So um, that, that I hadn't expected that at all. It was fascinating. And I would say our sales in terms of the balance of cask and keg have, have gone back to how they were before lockdown now, but we, and we are cask-led. So it's what we're known for, really, um, and, and what people want when they come in. Amy, how have cask beer sales been for you? Um, good. I mean, the barrel drop had, had always been cask-led, um, and the, it's starting to balance out with the craft a little bit more. On the weekends, there's a bit more of a split between the craft and the cask, but in the weekdays, cask is king. Yeah, those are our bread and butter customers. Those are the ones that keep us going on the quieter days. And um, yeah, no, I don't think it's gone down at all, um, the interest in it. And how has trade been post-lockdown? Because a lot of my experience is is in the Northwest, uh, particularly in Manchester, but I've also spent some time in in Sheffield, Leeds and Liverpool and I have just seen a great thirst is the, the, probably the best way to describe it. Pubs are busy. Is that reflected in the trade you folks are seeing at the moment? It is now. It's been, it was really variable. 20, well 2020 was just weird and then 2021 was just, it was unpredictable. We hadn't settled back into a pattern. Um, but this year it's, yeah, we're close to where we used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's getting there. Definitely. Um, we're about back to where we were before, mm-hmm. um, which is fantastic. We were closed for longer than most because we have no um, outside area. Um, so even when pubs were able to open and serve outside, we couldn't do that. We didn't do any um, takeout options really because Magpie covered that for us. Um, so a lot of our customers that wanted to support us um, just bought from Magpie because that would in turn support the pub. Um, but it's definitely getting back to normal. We're getting a lot of our regulars back in. Some we haven't seen for a while, a little bit worried about. <laughs> but um, yeah, they're all coming back and it's, it's slowly getting back to normal. Alex, how's it been for Black Iris? Uh, how was uh, the lockdown? Did you, like, how did you pivot to, to meet the needs of the customers? I think we we did now we well we did what has now become a slightly classic move for a lot of breweries. So we even though we were in the middle of a pandemic, we opened a tap room and bought a canning machine. <laughs> which seems to be the way I'll that, do it. <laughs> it. It it basically it was it was a very weird time because in 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 a lot of ways and without being glib about it, the pandemic actually allowed us to kind of step back from the general operation of the business and kind of look at all the ways that we could maybe change things and improve and it gave us time and space to be able to look at what we could be doing. I mean, we were contract canning and we had been for a couple of years and we thought about maybe we should kind of make the investments on our own machine. And then when we did, it made a huge difference and it was an absolute no brainer. And to be able to pivot quickly and as, you know, it was, as it turned out, not just one lockdown, subsequent various lockdowns meant that we could kind of quickly shift product into different packaging formats and be able to kind of, you know, ride the waves as they came. Um, it was, I mean, in the first one, it was very similar to the application. We, um, we went out to all of our customers and if they had any unbroached cask in the cellar, we uplifted them and credited all of our suppliers for free, which a lot of people weren't doing and that won us a lot of support and we took all those casks back, put them in our cellar, built a giant stillage in, in, in the cellar and filled bagging box and sold as much as we could and we didn't waste a drop. No beer went down the drain and it was, okay, similar kind of setup. We weren't making as much money, but balanced with furlough payments, it was enough to definitely keep afloat and to be quite honest, it was something to do. Yeah. <laughs> some people made banana bread, some people filled packing box. <laughs> uh, and now there's a host of new challenges, particularly rising costs. Um, Josh, you make beer with a lot of hops in them. Mm-hmm. Like, like, what's the situation like for you at the moment? Yeah, things are a bit tough. Um, 
yeah, we've had kind of rising costs with, well, I don't know, cost that hasn't risen. Uh, our electricity's gone up, the rent's actually gone up now, uh, that's timing more than anything else. Um, but yeah, I think things are a little bit tough, we're kind of having to kind of think a little bit more. Neon Raptor's always kind of been a brewery that's never really, how do I put this, like not cared what anyone wants, but we want to brew what we want to brew. If you want to drink that, drink it. If you don't want to drink it, that's also fine. We've always kind of known our place isn't, you know, we're not going for, this is the only brew you'll ever drink. So, you know, we, we know that we're going to be one tap of a board of 10. So we've always kind of looked at it that way. And now we're having to kind of think about actually what do people want if they aren't going to be able to afford, you know, a triple IPA or an Imperial Stout at eight pound a can. Um, so we're kind of pulling things back a little bit, kind of lowering the ABVs and, going down the, the line of pub route and thinking, right, well, actually, if people are going back into pubs and going out and trying to enjoy beer again, which they've not been able to do for the last two years, maybe we should try and think of beers that can be put, served in a pint and enjoyed with friends. So that's kind of what we're doing to counteract some of the costs that we're, uh, you know, suffering from. But at the same time, we'll just have to suck it and see, I guess. <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> And, and to both of you, how, how important are core beers becoming to you? Like, is the, the day of the, the limited edition releases and, and cha- ever-changing beers, do you think that's coming to an end? And, and do you feel like you need to, to concentrate on a more recognisable, familiar beer? I guess for us, we've been working on a core range for a while. Um, the issue is we've kind of... We do have international customers that do just want different things all the time which we're capable of doing we've been doing it from day one so it's not it's not impossible for us to do that we do see if we want to grow uh, the business that a core range would be important and um, but that's only to kind of fulfill a different customer base um, you know restaurants or, or bars that do just want the same line um, but yeah we're kind of I'm, I'm seeing a, a little move away from kind of just regular beers and I, I do struggle to kind of keep up now with whatever else is doing and whatever else is releasing because there's just so much coming out I mean even this this week we're, we're releasing three different new beers so and last week released I think two or three as well so it's it's I, I can see the problems that we're creating um, in what in the one hand but at the same time our customer base that's what they're after a new beer every week or three of them <laughs> How about you, Alex? Well, I think that's one of the interesting things about the, the market seems to be that there seems to be a split between people that want to come to a tap room, take away a six pack, and then that's kind of like the treat that they will have for the weekend. And then there are some people that would rather spend the same price on a six pack as they would one can, and they're happy to wait for a couple of hype releases. And you can you can definitely see that there's a balance between kind of like the. the the, the economics of wanting to kind of make your money go further, but then also really still wanting to enjoy a high-level product. Um, for us, core range is, is very important. We have always had pretty much a core range of three permanent low ABV pale casks that we kind of all pretty much consistently rotate uh, with a couple of kind of, um, oh, I can't think of the word, uh, seasonal casks that kind of pop up every now and again. Um, and even within our cans and kegs, we still run a, a, a smaller core range. We still have maybe one or two. Endless Summer in, in cans and kegs is still a wildly popular bestseller for us. And we still, sometimes when we uh, do some of the new uh, kegs and cans, we kind of split those, split the, you know, the guile between doing some keg and some cans. So that means that it can kind of go to a broader base of customers. But, but then the summers is just straight up. This is can. This is keg. Full packaging, and you know, and the summer in our kit, we can get fifty-five kegs out. And when that happens, they usually sold in the week, which is marvelous. It's a good and, beer. Yeah, well, it's a you know simple mosaic Simcoe. You can't go wrong. Um, but so yeah, core range is always important to us. We seem to have peaks and troughs in terms of when we release beers. At the minute new beer releases for us are high because we'd like to kind of make a big thing about not in craft beer week we also do a thing where we like to get a lot of people in that are traveling into the city during this week so on tuesday we had abbeydale over to brew with us 
Uh, today, currently, I've, well, I've, had, I've had to leave slightly early. Still managed to dig out Mashton, but left the uh, wild cars a bit up, uh, brewing with us, and then tomorrow we've got uh, Pomona Island down with us, uh, brewing. So we like to make a big thing. So that'll be all of July's releases, like tied up nicely with that. But um, I still think there's very much a, a place for for core beers. Certainly in terms of in terms of cask, we find that we have. Um, quite a small number of customers that buy in large volume and then run those beers or pretty much semi-permanently. Places like the King Billy just over the road um, will have snake eyes on pretty much consistently and then run usually a rotating line for us. Uh, but yeah. It's another good beer. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to seek some out after this, I'm getting thirsty. <laughs> Amy and Lucy, are you finding your customers are, are drawn to the more exciting limited edition beers or, or is it the the sort of core beers that are uh, that are doing the numbers for you? Well, I think because where we are, we're a neighbourhood pub out of the city, so our customer base is really a good bunch of regulars who come in for an evening and meet their pals and, you know, and they're the kind of people that will typically stick on the same beer all night. So they want a really good, reliable, bitter or um, hoppy pale, that's you know gonna um, make them have a really enjoyable evening, and then but then we have other customers who just we work their way through the taps. We try and keep a range on both uh, cask and keg, so we've got a range of different styles. We try really hard to keep a dark beer on all year. Sometimes it's a struggle, but you know there are some people that will only drink dark beers. So, um, so it we're predominantly. Um, people that want a reliable beer so whether that's a particular core beer or they know the brewery really well and so they are confident that they'll get a good beer if they choose that one um, and then a smaller number of people who are really want to experiment. Mm. Are people buying a lot of mild at the moment because um, in Manchester people have gone mad for mild. Yeah well, <laughs> well uh, Nottingham Camera do mild in May they have a trail um, so we uh, which we took part in and so we had a mild one all the way through May in fact we had a couple of extras because there were some really good miles around <laughs> this year um, that we got in so um, and they went down really well yeah uh-huh. yeah. Amy what have your customers been going for is it is it more the exciting limited edition stuff or are you are they going for the sort of stalwart core beers? So we did start to get to a point where people were coming in for the really exciting ones and the stronger ones and we'd get things, um, bottles and cans in the fridge and they'd fly out. Um, But yeah, these days people want the dependable beers. I mean, the Magpie Brewery's core range is our bread and butter. We have it a lot. People expect it as well when they come in so they know what they're getting. But always the low pale cask line it doesn't matter what i put on it as long as it is a clear low pale below four percent it will fly every day every week no matter what it is and for listeners who might not have heard of magpie brewing uh, because it's a very very localized nottingham brewery what's what's one magpie beer that you'd really recommend people give a try oh so the Cherry Raven is the most adventurous of the core range. The core range is very traditional British beer, all British hops. Um, all their beers are vegan, but they are fined, so it kind of suits both. Um, but the Cherry Raven is one of those that people ask questions about, people are curious about, people are unsure of, but 90% of the time they love it. I'll have to seek some out. Lucy, I want to come back to you because I want to talk a little bit about Place to Brew and, and how important home brewing is to the Nottingham craft beer scene. So why uh, have you focused on, on home brewing? Why do you think it's important for beer in Nottingham? Yeah, well, I um, uh, myself and my partner brew on a really tiny scale, but at the pub, and so we were able to register as a commercial brewery, but really it's just like a kind of very elaborate home brew setup. Um, it, it's not something that makes us money, it's just a bit of fun for us. But that meant we started to get to know quite a lot of other home brewers because they were interested in our kit and wanted to come and have a play on it and stuff. And realised that there weren't, um, there were lots of people entering home brewing competitions uh, nationally, for example, um, 
and some were winning, but there wasn't anything happening in Nottingham uh, around uh, homebrewers. There's lots of informal groups and people um, doing bottle shares and things like that. There's quite a tradition of homebrewers progressing up to be commercial brewers. Um, so a couple of years ago, I started chatting to Jared, who runs Craft Beer Week, about doing a homebrew competition. So we've just ran that for it got stalled because of the pandemic, but we ran it for the second time. Um, the winner is going to brew with Alex and Dan at Black Iris. So we just had the judging on Monday, so that's really exciting. Um, and then, um, yeah, then we've got runners up prizes who are going to get to go and do a brew at other breweries. So that was fun. And it was through that that I met some other guys who were really, they just got the massive bug for home brewing, but were struggling to fit it in at home. They were buying loads of kit. It was causing friction in their <laughs> household because they were taking over the kitchen for the weekends and, and all this kind of stuff. That sounds familiar. And um, so we started talking about, well, is there an option to do something else where we set up a physical brew space for, uh, for home brewers? So again, that was um, something that started, uh, we got the space in 2020, but couldn't really get it up and running until 21. Um, but we've got a unit now set up with quite a lot of kit there. Um, stuff that people may not buy at home, for example, so temperature controlled fermenters, we've got a can seamer. So we did kind of like a, a, a pledge drive with a load of people at the beginning to put some money in and then it's run through subscriptions to maintain the running costs. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been really fun actually. It's actually was giving me something to do during the various lockdowns because we've been able to concentrate on getting that up and running. Um, uh, and we've, we have things like community brew days where everybody comes down and help, you know, they chip in designing the recipe and then do the brew and then we have bottle shares and we did quite a few meet the brewer events over lockdown online um, as ways to sort of engage people with what we were doing and that was really fun. Um, so it's, I mean, from my point of view, I'm, I'm not involved really with brewing myself, but I think I've, I'm quite a good facilitator of stuff, so I'm really <laughs> happy to take that on. Um, and, um, and yeah, I've, I've, it's been, I've really enjoyed that element of it and seeing people progress. And in fact, some of the guys that got involved with Place to Brew have now taken over Magpie Brewing <laughs> um, because that opportunity came along. And so, you know, you you're selling the beer. <laughs> already, already seeing this coming round where people have, you know, been able to take that step up again. Yeah. Fantastic. That's, that sounds really great. And I think that leads into like, uh, speaking about where the Nottingham beer scene is culturally because it's interesting when I mentioned sparklers earlier and I like to stir things up with sparklers I'm a big <laughs> fan of sparkle cast beer but um, Amy you you nodded your head yes <laughs> and Lucy you uh, you shook your head and I think that's a really you know we are that is a very like yes you're in the Midlands now it's this is the dividing line uh, but what I'm interested to talk about and I might throw this over to you uh, Josh and Alex first is that um, there's a lot of focus on certain beer scenes. Manchester certainly gets a lion's share. We, we talk about ourselves a lot, something I'm very aware of, the sort of pride and confidence in Manchester beer. But so does Leeds, Sheffield gets a lot, uh, London, uh, Bristol, Newcastle. But you don't often see Nottingham, although I'm aware there's a lot of really, there's a strong beer fan people online and, and uh, in the pubs here, but where do you think Nottingham sits culturally and why do you think it doesn't maybe get as shouted about as loudly, certainly in the online space, as some other beer cities, for example, Manchester or Leeds? Well, I think part of that comes down to the fact that I think a lot of a lot of the best elements of Nottingham come from its independence. I find that a lot of its pubs and, and breweries are quite fiercely independent and are not don't really necessarily kind of like maybe maybe not make the biggest kind of shout about what they do because they're so connected to the local community, um, which can sometimes be to be to the scene's detriment. But I think it's one of those things that. It's like a modern phrase, isn't it? If you know, you know. I think a lot of people come to Nottingham and find out about how, what an incredible scene it is. And it, I think one of the nice things about Nottingham is that there's so many kind of like, 
I don't know, like happy accidents that have seemed to come together. So that there just seems to be things that kind of pop up and spike up. I mean, it was a few years ago, this guy called Nigel Garlick who ran Left Coast Distribution and he was introducing like some really rare uh, West Coast beers, American beers, um, into, into Nottingham. But it meant that to get hold of those beers, he was the main distributor. So one of the, one of the big draws when he first set up the junkyard was the fact that you could only get these beers and people were traveling for a massive distance because it was the only place that you could do it. And that wasn't happening in London or Manchester. It was happening in, you know, you know, a relative, a relatively big Midland city. But I think part of the, yeah, it just seems to be, yeah, I think it, I think it really boils down to its kind of independence, but also it's just, yeah. Yeah, I, I can see what you're saying. There's there's something that's kind of difficult to put your finger on. But yeah, the independent side, I, I completely agree with. We decided, I mean, you decided to move from Derby to Nottingham. Uh, you, you know, lived in Nottingham, moved the business over to where you live. We all live in Derby and commute to Nottingham every day. We decided to, you know, get involved with the beer scene that had already kind of been created. Um, I would say it's quite a new scene and we've potentially had you know a small knock with kind of you know the lockdowns and covid in 2020 and 21 and i think 2020 this year hopefully we'll see a lot more people wanting to come to nottingham because they well can get to nottingham and are able to get and kind of get here now and see what's available the black arrows have now got a tap room liquid light um they've got a tap room and a brewery uh, up the road from uh, Stenton Market, where we're where we currently are, um, and there's kind of this new, you know, liquid light's been there for a, a, a year now. Yeah. Mm. So I think that's maybe we're just maybe you know, at the start of something rather than you know to really kind of now start making noise elsewhere. I, um, I suppose with a, a crude musical analogy, if Manchester's Oasis and London's Blur, we're kind of like. Pulp or suede. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting in its own right, but maybe maybe not quite as known as others. But I still think what this city puts out pound for pound is is you know really is up there with some of the some of the bigger cities and maybe some of the more established beer scenes. Um, but I would yeah completely agree. But from culture to arts to design and you know just I think that there's a real there's a real kind of cultural heartbeat through this city mm. that really kind of makes a quite a big statement, you know, from, you know, from Paul Smith, the Broadway cinema, you know, say Paul Smith. We, you know, this <laughs> might be a smaller city, but we definitely punch above our weight, I think. Definitely. Like when I grew up in Lincoln, I, I had to come to Nottingham to see bands at, at Rock City because they didn't play. This was before Lincoln Uni was built and I had to, I had to come and, uh, you know, my first, I was, I, checked uh, the date, it was April 26, 2000, the first time I came to Nottingham Rock City to see Incubus, um, which was, uh, yeah, that was an experience and a half, 16 years old. You didn't drive, did you? No, I was not 16 years old. <laughs> drive being an Incubus song. Oh, <laughs> they played Drive. It was, <laughs> yes. Uh, it was the Make Yourself Tour, uh, they just released the album, so it's very good. Uh, but I, uh, it was um, an over 18 show. Uh, and I, but it was the year two thousand, so there was no challenge twenty five or anything <laughs> yeah, like that. Uh, and so we, we all got like I went with mates from school, and we all get in. We're like, well, it's over eighteen, so uh, shall we shall we drink beer? But it was uh, just Fosters, and I believe um, you know you talked about independence, but I believe Rock City is, um, and this might be a good good thing to to discuss actually. I think Beavertown have a, a deal with them, so, so it's a Heineken thing. So. Um, well, Alex we, has his hand up. Yeah, well, we actually we sell cans regularly to Rock City. Our well, that's endless, great. Our, our Endless Summer and East Mid's Pale regularly feature on the bars there. Um, and certainly, I mean, it's been kind of a bit hit and miss, obviously, because of the pandemic. But so, so far this year, Endless Summer certainly has been pretty consistently uh, on the bar of Rock City. Plus, we've been lucky enough to work with uh, DHP, the company that run Rock City, at various other venues in the city on a couple of their um, music festivals. So we've been had cask beer at Bearded Theory, we have cask beer at Splendour, um, which is at Woolerton Park in Nottingham every year. Um, so yeah, they're, they're on, on the whole, they're pretty supportive of... Uh, yeah, I would agree. We, we, we've had beer in there with the venues. Um, 
sort of restrooms in the bodega. Mm. We've just, for, for, from Neon Raptor's point of view, we just haven't quite got big enough to kind of keep up with the supply they need. Um, so potentially they'll, they'll look into working with more local breweries as we grow uh, and can meet the price point of some of the beers they're getting in. Simply from our end, we just can't manage, we can't do that. Um, so yeah, there, there, there's there's definitely uh, room for kind of getting in there. I, I believe. I just think it's just time. We'll just get there when we get there. Amy and Lucy, what's the cultural importance of of beer in Nottingham to you folks? Because although yes, there's a new scene emerging that I'm excited to explore. But you know, I mentioned Castle Rock right at the start of this. This recording, so it feels like there, there has always been a scene. So where do you feel the scene is now? Do you feel it's about to explode and become much bigger? It's a tough one. It's it's definitely growing, and like I said, people are coming into Nottingham specifically for beer. But we get a lot of um, older customers that come in, and they're like, we stock a lot of local beer um, on cask and keg, and. They'll come in and they're so happy that there's so much choice because they always talk to me about how in Nottingham there was just the three main breweries and that's all the beer that you could get and it was a bitter or a mild and nothing else. Um, and so they're happy to see that there's so much more around. Um, they're trying different things. We're pushing more non-traditional beers onto traditional beer drinkers, um, changing people's minds, I think over lockdown where people were having to buy bottles and cans were people that would never drink out of a bottle or a can normally they would never have a can of beer um and now they're coming in and you know having a sneaky look at the keg list and um it's definitely moving forward and um yeah i think there are big things to come fantastic do you feel the same way um yeah i definitely think that People are, the customers are getting more adventurous. We, when we introduced, we were just cask uh, a bar when we first opened and then when we introduced the keg lines, it was actually with, with Black Iris. They lent us um, a Linda unit for a couple of months so we could put some keg beer on and it just, it, 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 was, it really took off. And I think it's made, it's opened people's eyes to drink in a different format of beer by having it in a local neighborhood bar, you know, where, um, and so, so I think it, it's helped broaden people's horizons. And so then, when they come to Neon Raptor because they've heard about it, um, I mean, we are kind of a, we're a suburban area really, and so it's quite an adventure for some people to come into the city. <laughs> but um, but it doesn't it doesn't phase them anymore. You know, they're used to seeing that style of beer in their neighbourhood bar. Um, so so I think that makes it more feel more accessible to them. Mm. You know, they're not wouldn't be so phased by it or find it it's a difficult concept or anything. So yeah, I think that's great. And that's and also because there is so much good beer from the local breweries now. Um, I mean I think um, it would Amy mentioned the three regional brewers that we used to have. So Shipston's where Black Iris are, where we're located is directly opposite the old Home Ales Brewery building, which is a beautiful 1930s um, building by local architect Howitt, who is, you know, really well known around the city. And then there was Kimberley, uh, which is further out of the city, really. But um, and after they all got closed or taken over and moved out there was nothing really for ages was there till till castle rock started to get established yeah, and so castle that rock really was yeah. um where it, it started and then you know and through their pubs which are all really good pubs um it's kind of really enlivened the beer scene again from there and that neatly brings us back to why we're here in the first place it's craft beer week Nottingham Craft Beer Week, and it's the beer festival. Um, is it today and tomorrow, or just to, as it starts at the weekend? Starts tomorrow. Yeah, Friday yeah. okay. So, I'm very excited about that. Uh, Amy and Lucy, what's the importance of Nottingham Craft Beer Week to your businesses? How how important is that extra focus on yourselves? It's really important. Um, I mean, for us in particular. We are in the city centre, but we're a little bit harder to find. People need to know where we are. Um, not many people will stumble across us. Um, it's a bit of a dingy alleyway. <laughs> um, You're actually selling it to me. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the most well lit, and people come down and say, oh, it's like it's in Harry Potter. And it's, yeah. It's, um, so you have to go out your way to find us. 
So anything that can put us on the map is fantastic for us. But also we are still moving from the cask scene into the craft scene. So getting involved in Nottingham Craft Beer Week is great for us because it lets people that might not know that we do craft beer as well as casks. So. I think that's exactly the same for us because we're an out-of-town venue. Um, we need a we need a reason for people to come and check us out, and um, and being part of Craft Beer Week means that people do. Um, we've we haven't really put on any specific event this year, like having a brewery in, um, but so we didn't necessarily, you know, purposely sort of uh, want to attract the business in that way, but we. You know, just by being listed in the um, in the materials and being being identified as a place where you're going to get some really good beer, then you know, hopefully people will hop on the bus and come and check us out. Fantastic. Although, if I could just add that the work that Lucy has been doing with uh, the Hop Idol uh, homebrew competition is just has made it to be what I'd consider to be one of the jewels in the crown of Nottingham Craft Beer Week. It is such a fun event where people from all parts of the kind of beer culture of the city all come together into a lovely tiny pub we sit around we drink some good beers and some bad beers <laughs> and it is just such a good laugh and ev- and it's like you know it's the second year that it's run and it has been it's always really fun and we are pretty honored to be you know brewing the winning beer this year and uh, we'll be launching that for nottingham uh, camera beer festival so uh, yeah looking forward to that can't wait fantastic and alex and josh what's the importance of nottingham craft beer week and the festival to to your breweries so for me i mean the the festival happens right outside the brewery so yeah you literally are what right over the way, way yeah, from where it's, so yeah we are in a building right now which is passed into the market uh, on one of the avenues our brewery is on two avenues over um, and basically yeah the festival kind of slots itself in around uh, <laughs> where the brewery is which is great because it means I don't have to do much work uh, <laughs> and we're just over the tap room as normal uh, but it's good because it really puts us on the map when we kind of first opened up uh, the festival was also launching its first year so it really kind of gave us a bit more um, connection with the city none of us are from the city originally so unlike Alex who's kind of worked in pubs across you know in, in the city and kind of built up um, those connections it, it has been important for us to be able to do that and meet people um, so yeah it's fantastic that we've got a festival and on our, on our doorstep uh, and the whole week it's just great to kind of get people in uh, from you know across the country uh, to come and see Nottingham and see what it does fantastic well I can't wait uh, to get amongst it really but I think that's a lovely place to leave this as well I just want to say thank you to all of you for your time today and uh, here's to, to Nottingham and a great craft beer week thank you thank you cheers thanks for listening to that folks I hope you enjoyed that interview and thank you again to Amy, Lucy, Alex and Josh for joining me and to Jared of Left Lion for organising that interview. Don't forget, tickets to Nottingham Craft Beer Festival are available. So why not make the journey to Nottingham and experience its beer scene for yourself? I certainly want to go back after listening back to that interview. It's been quite a long episode, so I'll leave it there. But I will say that if you are enjoying what we're doing with this podcast and with our written content, then please consider subscribing. We've had a really good few weeks with a lot of new subscribers, so thank you if you've joined recently. But we are still a long way from turning Pellicle into a profitable business. And what does being profitable mean? It means we can invest money back into our team, which is me, Lily Waite, Katie Mather and my co-founder, Johnny Hamilton. And with that, we can spend more time working on the site. And it also means we can commission more articles and we can be more adventurous with what we can commission. Having a greater resource would only improve what we can do with Pellicle. You can subscribe from just £1 a month at patreon.com forward slash Mag, and we really appreciate all of those of you who've signed up already. If you can't afford to support us with a financial donation, there are other ways you can help. 
Specifically with this podcast, you can subscribe in the app you're listening to and leave us a little rating or a review. That will help more people find the podcast. Something else you can do is if you enjoy a particular episode or article, make sure you share that on your social media channels. We're still a very small publication, and although our readership and the number of listeners we have is growing, it's only through you talking about us that we can grow that and in turn grow the support for our little publication. Anyway, that's it from me for this week. I'll be back in a few weeks' time with yet another interview as I catch up with all of the stuff I recorded last year. Next time, I'm very privileged to be sitting down with the owners of Australia's Wildflower Brewing, who I spent a weekend with towards the end of last summer. And it's a really wonderful conversation that we recorded upstairs at Corto in Clitheroe, our associate editor, Katie Mathers Bar. And Katie does join us in that conversation as well. Thanks again for listening. I've been Matthew Curtis, and you've been listening to the Pellicle Podcast. See you next time. <laughs>